0: section 14 of the arabian nights entertainments volume two by anonymous this librivox recording is in the public domain the history of abul Hassan ali ebn-eqar and shemselnihar favorite of caliph Harun al Rashid, part two ebn thayer who only wished to get out of the palace was obliged to comfort them and to exhort them to have patience but the trusty slave again interrupted them. Madam, said she to Nehar, you have no time to lose. The eunuchs begin to arrive, and you know the caliph will be here immediately. Oh, heaven, how cruel is this separation, cried the favourite. Make haste, said she to the confidant. Take them both to the gallery which looks into the garden on the one side, and to the tigress on the other. And when the night grows dark let them out by the back gate that they may retire with safety having spoken thus she tenderly embraced the prince of persia without being able to say one word more and went to meet the caliph in such disorder as cannot well be imagined in the meantime the trusty slave conducted the prince and Ebenthea to the gallery as shemselnihar had appointed and left them there assuring them, as she closed the door upon them, that they had nothing to fear and that she would come for them when it was time. When Shemselnihar's trusty slave had left the Prince of Persia and Ebenthea, they forgot she had assured them they had nothing to apprehend. They examined the gallery and were seized with extreme fear because they knew no means of escape if the caliph or any of his officers should happen to come there. A great light which they suddenly beheld through the lattices on the garden side caused them to approach them to see from whence it came. It was occasioned by a hundred flambeaux of white wax carried by as many young eunuchs. These were followed by more than a hundred others who guarded the ladies of the Caliph's palace, clothed and armed with scimitars in the same manner as those I spoke of before. And the Caliph came after them betwixt Mezrur, their captain on his right, and Vasif, their second officer, on his left hand. Shem Sal-Nihar waited for the caliph at the entrance of a walk, accompanied by twenty women, all of surprising beauty, adorned with necklaces and earrings of large diamonds. They played and sung on their instruments, and formed a charming concert. The favourite no sooner saw the prince appear, but she advanced and prostrated herself at his feet, and while she was doing this, Prince of Persia, said she within herself, if your sad eyes witness what I do, judge of my hard lot. If I were humbling myself so before you, my heart would feel no reluctance. The Caliph was delighted to see Shemsel Nihar. Rise, madam, said he to her, come near, i am angry with myself that i should have deprived myself so long of the pleasure of seeing you as he spoke he took her by the hand and with many tender expressions went and sat down upon the silver throne which shemselnehah caused to be brought for him and she sat down on a seat before him the twenty women made a circle round them upon other seats while the young eunuchs who carried flambeaux dispersed themselves at a certain distance from one another that the caliph might the better enjoy the cool of the evening when the caliph had seated himself he looked round him and beheld with great satisfaction the garden illuminated with many other lights besides those flambeaux which the young eunuchs held but taking notice that the saloon was shut expressed his surprise, and demanded the reason. It was done on purpose to surprise him, for he had no sooner spoken than all the windows flew open at once, and he saw it illuminated within and without, in a much better manner than ever he had beheld it before. "'Charming Shem Sel-ni-ha, cried he at this sight. "'I understand you. You would have me know there are as fine nights as days.' after what i have seen i cannot deny this let us return to the prince of persia and Ebenthea, whom we left in the gallery Ebenthea could not enough admire all that he saw i am not young said he and i have seen great entertainments in my time but i do not think anything can be seen so surprising and magnificent all that is said of enchanted palaces does not come up to the prodigious spectacle we now behold. What riches and magnificence united! The prince of Persia was not at all interested by the objects which so delighted Ebenthea. He could look on nothing but Shemselnehal, and the presence of the caliph threw him into inconceivable grief. Dear Ebenthea, he exclaimed, would to god i had my mind as much at liberty to attend to those objects of admiration as you but alas i am in a quite different situation all these things serve only to increase my torment can i see the caliph familiar with the objects of my love and not die of grief must so ardent a passion as mine be disturbed with so potent a rival. Oh, heavens, how cruel and strange is my destiny. It is but a moment since I esteemed myself the most fortunate lover in the world, and at this instant I feel a death stroke to my heart. I cannot resist it, my dear Ebonthea. My patience is exhausted. My disorder overwhelms me, and my courage fails while he was speaking he saw something pass in the garden which obliged him to be silent and to turn all his attention that way the caliph had ordered one of the women who was near him to play upon her lute and she began to sing the words she sung were very passionate and the caliph persuaded that she sung thus by order of shemselnehah who had frequently entertained him with the like testimonies of her affection interpreted them in his own favour but this was not now shemsel Nehar's meaning she applied them to her dear ali ebn bekar and was so sensibly touched with grief to have before her an object whose presence she could no longer enjoy that she fainted and fell backwards upon her seat which having no arms to support her she must have fallen had not some of the women given her timely assistance taken her up and carried her into the saloon. Eben Thea, who was in the gallery, being surprised at this accident, turned towards the prince of Persia. But instead of finding him standing and looking through the window as before, he was extremely amazed to discover him lying at his feet, motionless. This convinced him of the violence of the prince's passion for Shemsel and he admired that strange effect of sympathy which put him into a mortal fear on account of the place they were in. He did all he could to recover the prince, but in vain. Ebenthea was in this perplexity, when Shemselnihar's confidant opened the gallery door and entered out of breath, as one who knew not where she was. Come speedily, cried she, that I may let you out. All is in confusion here, and I fear this will be the last of our days alas how would you have us go replied Ebenthea with a mournful voice approach and see what a condition the prince of persia is in when the slaves saw him in a swoon she ran for water and returned in an instant at last the prince of persia after they had thrown water on his face recovered prince said ebonthea to him we run the risk of perishing if we stay here any longer "'Exert yourself, therefore. Let us endeavour to save our lives.' He was so feeble that he could not rise alone. Ebenthea and the confidant lent him their hands and supported him on each side. They reached a little iron gate which opened towards the tigris, went out at it and came to the side of a little canal which communicated with the river.' the confidant clapped her hands and immediately a little boat appeared and came towards them with one rower ali ebn bakar and his comrade went aboard and the confidant remained at the side of the canal as soon as the prince was seated in the boat he stretched out one hand towards the palace and laying the other on his heart exclaimed with a feeble voice dear object of my soul Receive my faith with this hand, while I assure you with the other, that my heart shall for ever preserve the fire with which it burns for you. In the meantime, the boatman rowed with all his might, and Shemselniha's confidant accompanied the prince of Persia and Ebenthea, walking along the side of the canal, until they came to the Tigris, and when she could go no farther, she took leave of them and returned the prince of persia continued very feeble ebanthea comforted him and exhorted him to take courage consider said he that when we are landed we have a great way to walk before we reach my house and i would not advise you to go to your palace which is a great deal farther at this hour and in this condition at last they went out of the boat but the prince had so little strength that he could not walk which put Ebenthea into great perplexity. He recollected he had a friend in the neighborhood and carried the prince thither with great difficulty. His friend received him very cheerfully and when he had made them sit down, he asked them where they had been so late. Ebenthea answered, I heard this evening that a man who owed me a considerable sum of money was setting out on a long voyage. I lost no time to find him and, by the way, I met with this young nobleman, to whom I am under a thousand obligations, for, knowing my debtor, he did me the favour to go along with me. We had a great deal of trouble to bring the man to reason. We have at length succeeded, and that is the cause of our being so late. In our return home, this good Lord, to whom I am for ever bound to show all possible respect, was attacked by a sudden illness which made me take the liberty to knock at your door, flattering myself that you would be pleased to lodge us this night. Ebenthea's friend took all this for truth, told them they were welcome, and offered the prince of Persia, whom he knew not, all the assistance he could desire. But Ebenthea spoke for the prince, and said that his distemper was of such a nature as to require nothing but rest. His friend understood by this that they desired to go to bed upon which he conducted them to an apartment where he left them though the prince of persia slept he was interrupted by troublesome dreams which represented shemselnihar in a swoon at the caliph's feet and increased his affliction ebntheir was very impatient to be at home and doubted not but his family was under great apprehension because he never used to sleep out he arose and departed early in the morning, after he had taken leave of his friend, who rose at break of day to prayers. At last he reached his house, and the first thing the prince of Persia did, who had walked so far with much trouble, was to lie down upon a sofa, as weary as if he had been a long journey. Not being in a state to go to his own palace, Thayer ordered a chamber to be prepared for him and sent to acquaint his friends with his condition and where he was. In the meantime, he begged him to compose himself, to command in his house, and to dispose of all things as he pleased. "'I thank you heartily for your obliging offers,' said the prince. "'But that I may not be any ways troublesome to you, "'I conjure you to deal with me as if I were not at your house.' I would not stay one moment if I thought my presence would incommode you in the least." As soon as Ebenthea had time to recollect himself, he told his family all that had passed at Shemselnhar's palace, and concluded by thanking God, who had delivered him from the danger he had been in. The prince of Persia's principal domestics came to receive his orders at Ebenthea's house, and in a little time there arrived several of his friends who had notice of his indisposition those friends passed the greatest part of the day with him and though their conversation could not extinguish those melancholy ideas which were the cause of his trouble yet it afforded him some relief he would have taken his leave of ebonthea towards the evening but this faithful friend found him still so weak that he obliged him to stay till next day and in the meantime to divert him gave a concert of vocal and instrumental music in the evening. But this concert served only to remind him of the preceding night, and renewed his trouble instead of assuaging it, so that next day his distemper seemed to increase. Upon this Ebenthea did not oppose his going home, but took care to accompany him, and when he was with him alone in his chamber, he represented to him all those arguments which might influence him to a generous effort to overcome his passion, which, in the end, would neither prove fortunate to himself nor to the favourite. "'Ah, oh, dear Eben Thea, exclaimed the prince. "'How easy is it for you to give this advice! "'But how hard for me to follow it! "'I am sensible of its importance.' but I am not able to profit by it. I have said already that I shall carry to the grave the love I bear to Shemsel Nehar. When Eben Thea saw that he could gain nothing upon the prince, he took his leave and would have retired. The prince of Persia interrupted him and said, Kind Eben Thea, since I have declared to you that it is not in my power to follow your wise counsels, I beg you would not charge it on me as a crime, nor forbear to give me the usual testimonies of your friendship. You cannot do me a greater favour than to inform me of the destiny of my dear Shemselnihar when you hear of her. The uncertainty I am in concerning her fate, and the apprehensions her fainting have occasioned in me, keep me in this languishing condition you reproach me with. My lord, answered Ebenthea, you have reason to hope that her fainting was not attended with any bad consequences. Her confidant will quickly come and inform me of the issue, and as soon as I know the particulars, I will not fail to impart them. Ebenthea left the prince in this hope, and returned home, where he expected Shemselnihar's confidant all the rest of the day, but in vain. Nor did she come on the following. His uneasiness to know the state of the Prince of Persia's health would not suffer him to wait any longer without seeing him. He went to his palace to exhort him to patience, and found him lying on his bed as ill as ever, surrounded by a great many of his friends and several physicians, who used all their art to discover the cause of his disorder. As soon as he saw Ebenthea, he looked at him with a smile, to signify that he had two things to tell him, the one that he was glad to see him, the other how much the physicians, who could not discover the cause of his illness, were out in their reasonings. His friends and physicians retired one after another, so that Ebonthea, being alone with him, approached his bed to ask him how he had been since he had last seen him. "'I must tell you,' answered the prince, "'that my passion,' which continually gathers new strength, and the uncertainty of the lovely Shemselnihar's fate, augment my disorder every moment, and cast me into such a state as afflicts my kindred and friends, and breaks the measures of my physicians who do not understand it. You cannot think," he added, how much I suffer by seeing so many people about me, who importune me, and whom I cannot in civility put away. Your company alone relieves me, but I conjure you not to dissemble with me. What news do you bring of Shemselmnehah? Have you seen her confidant? What says she to you?" Urban Thayer answered that he had not seen her yet. No sooner had he communicated to the prince of Persia this sad intelligence than the tears came into his eyes. He could not answer one word, his heart was so oppressed. "'Prince,' added Ebenthea, "'suffer me to tell you that you are too ingenious in tormenting yourself. In the name of God wipe away your tears. If any of your people should come in they would discover you by this.' Notwithstanding the care you ought to take to conceal your thoughts, whatever his judicious adviser could say, it was not possible for the prince to refrain from weeping. Wise Ebenthea said he, when he had recovered his speech, "I may indeed hinder my tongue from revealing the secrets of my heart, but I have no power over my tears upon such an alarming subject as Shemselnihar's danger." if that adorable and only object of my desires be no longer in the world, I shall not survive her a moment. Reject so afflicting a thought, replied Ebenthea. Shemselnihar is yet alive, you need not doubt it. If you have heard no news of her, it is because she could find no opportunity to send to you, and I hope you will hear from her to-day. To this he added several other consoling arguments, and then withdrew. Ebenthea had scarcely reached his own house when Shemselnihar's confidant arrived with a melancholy countenance, which he reckoned a bad omen. He asked news of her mistress. "'Tell me yours first, said the confidant, for I was in great trouble to see the Prince of Persia go away in that condition. Ebenthea told her all that she wished to know, and when he had done, the slave began thus. If the prince of Persia has suffered, and does still suffer for my mistress, she suffers no less for him. After I departed from you, I returned to the saloon, where I found Shemselnihar not yet recovered from her swoon, notwithstanding all the assistance they endeavored to give her. The Caliph was sitting near her with all the signs of real grief. He asked all the women, and me in particular, if we knew the cause of her disorder, but we kept all secret, and told him we were altogether ignorant of it. In the meantime we all wept to see her suffer so long, and forgot nothing that might any ways relieve her. In a word it was almost midnight before she came to herself the caliph who had the patience to wait the event was rejoiced at her recovery and asked Shemselnihar the cause of her illness as soon as she heard him speak she endeavoured to recover her seat and after she had kissed his feet before he could hinder her sir said she i have reason to complain of heaven that it did not allow me to expire at your majesty's feet to testify thereby how sensible I am of your favours, "'I am persuaded you love me,' replied the Caliph, "'and I command you to preserve yourself for my sake. "'You have probably exceeded in something today "'which has occasioned this indisposition. "'Take care, I entreat you. "'Abstain from it for the future. "'I am glad to see you better "'and advise you to stay here tonight.' and not return to your chamber, for fear the motion should affect you.' He then commanded a little wine to be brought to strengthen her, and, taking leave of her, returned to his apartment. As soon as the Caliph had departed, my mistress gave me a sign to come near her. She asked me earnestly concerning you. I assured her that you had been gone a long time, which made her easy on that head i took care not to speak of the prince of persia's fainting lest she should fall into the same state from which we had so much trouble to recover her but my precautions were in vain as you shall hear prince exclaimed she i henceforth renounce all pleasure as long as i am deprived of the sight of you if i have understood your heart right i only follow your example you will not cease to weep and mourn until I see you. At these words, which she uttered in a manner expressive of the violence of her passion, she fainted a second time in my arms. My companions and I were a long time recovering her. At last she came to herself, and then I said to her, Madam, are you resolved to kill yourself and to make us also die with you? i entreat you in the name of the prince of persia who is so deeply interested in your life to preserve it i am much obliged to you replied she for your care your zeal and your advice but alas they are useless to me you are not to flatter us with any hopes for we can expect no end of our torment but in the grave one of my companions would have diverted these sad thoughts by playing on the lute, but she commanded her to be silent and ordered all of them to retire, except me, whom she kept all night with her. Oh, heavens, what a night it was! She passed it in tears and groans and incessantly naming the Prince of Persia. She lamented her lot that had destined her to the Caliph whom she could not love and not for him whom she loved so dearly next morning as she was not commodiously lodged in the saloon i helped her to her chamber which she had no sooner reached than all the physicians of the palace came to see her by order of the caliph who was not long before he arrived himself the medicines which the physicians prescribed to Shamsel were ineffectual because they were ignorant of the cause of her malady, which was augmented by the presence of the caliph. She got a little rest, however, this night, and as soon as she awoke, she charged me to come to you to learn some news of the prince of Persia. I have already informed you of his case, said Ebenthea, so return to your mistress and assure her that the prince of Persia waits for some account of her with an impatience equal to her own above all exhort her to moderation and to overcome her feelings for fear she should drop before the caliph some word which may prove fatal to us all as for me replied the confidant i confess i dread her transports i have taken the liberty to tell her my mind and am persuaded that she will not take it ill that i tell her this from you Eben Thea, who had but just come from the prince of persia's lodgings thought it not convenient to return so soon and neglect his own important affairs he therefore went not till the evening the prince was alone and no better than in the morning ebn said he to him as soon as he saw him you have doubtless many friends but they do not know your worth which you discover to me by your zeal your care and the trouble you give yourself to oblige me i am confounded with all that you do for me with so much affection and i know not how i shall be able to express my gratitude prince answered Epenthea, do not speak thus i entreat you i am ready not only to give one of my eyes to save one of yours but to sacrifice my life for you but this is not the present business I come to tell you that Shemsel Nihar sent her confidant to ask me about you, and at the same time to inform me of her condition. You may assure yourself that I said nothing but what might confirm the excess of your passion for her mistress, and the constancy with which you love her. Then Ebenthea gave him a particular account of all that had passed betwixt the trusty slave and him. The prince listened with all the different emotions of fear, jealousy, affection and compassion which this conversation could inspire, making, upon everything which he heard, all the afflicting or comforting reflections that so passionate a lover was capable of. Their conversation continued so long that the night was far advanced, so that the prince of Persia obliged Ebenthea to stay with him, the next morning, as this trusty friend returned home, there came a woman to him, whom he knew to be Shemsel-Nihar's confidant, and immediately she spoke to him thus, My mistress salutes you, and I am come to entreat you in her name to deliver this letter to the prince of Persia. The zealous Ebenthea took the letter and returned to the prince, accompanied by the confidant's slave. When Eben Thea entered the prince of Persia's house with Shemsel Nahar's confidant, he prayed her to stay and wait for him a moment in the ante-room. As soon as the prince saw him, he asked earnestly what news he had to communicate. The best you can expect, answered Eben Thea. you are as dearly beloved as you love. Shemsel Nahar's confidant is in your ante-room, she has brought you a letter from her mistress "'and waits for your orders to come in.' "'Let her enter!' cried the prince, "'with a transport of joy, "'and so saying sat up to receive her.' "'The prince's attendants retired "'as soon as they saw Ebenthea "'and left him alone with their master. Ebenthea opened the door himself "'and brought in the confidant. "'The prince knew her "'and received her with great politeness. "'My lord,' said she to him, I am sensible of the affliction you have endured since I had the honour to conduct you to the boat which waited to bring you back, but I hope the letter I have brought will contribute to your cure. So saying, she presented him the letter. He took it, and after he had kissed it several times, opened it and read as follows. End of section 14